Yes. So we've definitely heard from countless experts that we should just have our olive oil skews and just grow olive oil and not worry about anything else. And that's really like the, the best business path to growth. And I hear that and I agree with it in some ways, but the honest truth is just, that's not the brand that I wanted to build. And I never wanted to just be an olive oil brand. I truly wanted to be a lifestyle brand centered around the Mediterranean lifestyle. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I am really, really thrilled today to have a guest on who is in one of my very favorite categories, olive oil. So I want to welcome Katina Montanos, who is the founder and CEO of Costa Rica Olive Oils. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast, Christy. I think I've listened to like 30 or 40 different episodes and you have so many founders that I look up to and brands that I love. So thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today. So I want you to just first give us a little bit of background about you and about how you decided to launch this brand. And then we can get into all the nuances. How's it going? What's going on with it? Sure. Yeah, sounds good. My um, my career history is I started my career in investment banking. So I spent four years in finance in New York and London. And then after getting my MBA, I switched over to consumer products and technology and startups and really fell in love with small companies. And so I spent some time at L'Oreal doing new product development and beauty. I worked at two startup companies, both run by a very iconic founder here in New York named Mark Laurie. He started both Quidzy, which sold to Amazon and Jet, which sold to Walmart, and was fortunate to be an early employee of both of those companies, in addition to starting my own startup in beauty services. So this startup is sort of not my first rodeo, but definitely the one that I've been most passionate about. And so Costa Rica came to be because my family comes from a small town in southern Greece. It's called Coroni, and it's in the center of olive country. And we do make olive oil on a small family farm, It's not enough to support the company, but it was the impetus for me knowing what good olive oil tasted like and realizing that what's sold here in the supermarket as quote unquote Greek extra virgin or even Italian extra virgin just tastes nothing like what my family enjoyed in Southern Greece. And so, you know, I got really excited about bringing this incredible product to the U.S. really from a culinary and taste standpoint first. But what really sort of put me over the edge and got me excited about launching it as a wellness brand centered around health was after taking an olive oil sommelier course, which I really just took out of like passion and interest. But there I learned just how healthy olive oil can be when it's harvested a certain way and milled properly. And so olive oil that's harvested early and sort of protected throughout the whole process as it gets from the farm to your table is very high in polyphenol content. And polyphenols are these antioxidants that have been proven to reduce the risk of all chronic disease, cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, heart disease, Alzheimer's, you name it. And it's so potent and so powerful when treated properly that having both that incredible taste that comes along with it and those health benefits really made it something that, you know, I wanted the U.S. to consumer, the U.S. consumer to know about and to trade up to. 
Okay. I, I have a couple of questions on that topic. I love olive oil and I know enough, enough, I think. Like I know that if you get olive oil that has olives that were made somewhere else and then they can somehow be called Italian because it got bottled in Italy and it's not the same, but I don't know that much about what you're talking about. So how hard is it to keep the olive oil from degrading and not having the benefits that you're talking about? Is that most of the olive oil we consume not really that good for you as, as we might think? Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. So <laughs> I know, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, definitely blends are often an indicator that it's a lower quality olive oil because a blend is typically a producer or a brand that's buying up olive oil from all over the world. And when they're doing that, they're really looking for a very inexpensive price. They're often getting olive oil from previous harvests. So one of the things you want to look for to get good olive oil is what's called single source, which just means that it comes from one farm. And all of our olive oils are single source at Costa Rica. There are a few tips and tricks that I always like to share with people so they know whether they're buying a good olive oil or not. And so the first is what you can decipher at the supermarket shelf. So you want to look at, you want to look for a glass opaque bottle. So you never want to buy olive oil in plastic. Olive oil is actually corrosive to plastic and you can end up with microplastics in your olive oil. I would say that's number one. Number two, you want it to be opaque because light is actually the enemy to good olive oil. A lot of companies are also shipping olive oil throughout the summer and in, in summer in hot climates. And we only bring our olive oil to the U.S. in the dead of winter when it's very cold on the ship. And we maintain temperature control all throughout the year to make sure it never gets too warm. Heat can degrade the quality of that olive oil and reduce your polyphenol content or the antioxidant content. Um, a couple other quick things that you want to look for are a harvest date on the bottle. You want to look for a best before date on the bottle to make sure it's the freshest olive oil possible. And then when once you have it at home, there's a couple of signals that you can get from smelling it and tasting it. So when you smell it, you should smell something fresh. You could pour it into a small glass, bring it to your nose. If you want to like shake it up a little bit first, bring it right to your nose. You should smell like green grass green tomato, florals, any sort of vegetables. If it has like any sort of a rancid smell, which like once you compare a good olive oil to, you know, something lesser quality, you'll under, you'll see what I mean. You want to look for that sort of fresh aroma. And then the last thing is once you taste it, if you taste an olive oil without food and you just take a, take a sip of it from a glass, a good olive oil will have a slight burn at the back of your throat. Those are the polyphenols or the antioxidants that give you like a slight peppery taste. It won't be bitter or peppery on food, but you should get that slight burn at the back of your throat. That's so interesting. And I, I think mostly lost on, on most people, especially here, because I mean, who, how would anyone even know that unless they literally heard someone like you talking, there aren't, it's not like we have a lot of places where you could learn information like that. So that's interesting. When did you start? Like, when did you decide you were doing this, this specific brand? So I officially launched Costa Rica in January of 2020. So just before the pandemic lockdowns, wow. but I've been operating it kind of as a hobby, or I would say passion project for about three years before that. So once I kind of had the idea to bring this good olive oil to the US, I made a very small run. It was a thousand bottles. I put up a square space site on my own and I sent an email to everyone in my Gmail inbox. And that first year, you know, I always say I was getting orders all from names that I recognized. And then slowly over time, I started getting orders from names that I didn't recognize. People were sharing it organically with their family and friends. And that was super exciting to see sort of the, the good word spread. 
And what really made me want to leave my full-time role and focus on Costa Rica full-time were two things that happened. One is I ran an NPS survey, um, which stands for Net Promoter Score, in case people aren't familiar. And I had been running that for brands that I was building in the past, and I would be really excited when that score came back in the 50s. It's essentially a measure of how likely someone is to recommend your product yep. to family or friends. And our NPS score came back at 100. Whoa. So I, even though it was a small base of customers, like they were very excited about this product and like very willing to share it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then the second thing that happened, which we were super lucky, was that a buyer, a national buyer at Whole Foods reached out to us and was interested in talking to us about carrying the product. How did they find out about you? On our Instagram page, which wow. by the way, had like only a few thousand followers and, you know, it was just something I was doing on the side to try to build up. You know, so the- that's a real testament to the quality of the product, right? Because it's really hard to make that happen. Like, I mean, I've talked to founders who have gone to Whole Foods 50 times to sample stuff and still haven't gotten the call. So mm-hmm. that's pretty, that's a pretty big honor. Yes. Yeah. We're very, very lucky. And Whole Foods is our like prized partner and that we've partnered with them so deeply and they've expanded our line. They now carry our vinegars and they're carrying a third category that we're launching this fall. Oh, I want to talk about your vinegars too. So so talk about, so you started the brand and officially, let's just call it officially right before the pandemic. How did the first couple of years go for you? I mean, I know it's mixed because a lot of great things happened for brands during the pandemic because people couldn't get what they normally bought. So there was a lot of new trial happening, but also, I mean, so many challenges. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I would say in in short, everything on the demand side was amazing and everything on the operations side was horrific. Yes. So we were out of stock for very long periods, like months at a time throughout the pandemic because of glass shortages and global supply chain issues that were just out of our control as a small brand. We didn't have the funding to like hoard inventory and keep a lot of bottles on hand. And so we were trying to buy things in real time. But being a small vendor or being a small client for a lot of our vendors meant that we weren't their priority at times. We definitely grew on the consumer side. The interest, the reviews were always amazing. The interest was always there. We had a Today Show appearance. We sold out of literally everything we had on the site in 15 minutes when it continued to air in the other time zones and we literally had nothing. So yeah, it was, it was a challenge, but you know, it was all good things. And we knew that the most important thing to us was always our product. And as long as we had an amazing product, we were happy and we knew we would get there and sort out the, the operational issues. And so now 2023, you've got several things going on. So you've got the olive oils and how many flavors do you have and skews on that? We have five SKUs of olive oil. So we have two unflavored olive oils. We have Mm -hmm. our original and our everyday. The original is what we call our finishing oil. It's ultra aromatic, ultra high in polyphenol content and flavor. And then the everyday is a little bit more mild. So it's slightly later harvest, which means the polyphenol content declines. And it's also what allows us to get the price down. Mm -hmm. So that blue bottle olive oil, the everyday is under $20, whereas the white Mm -hmm. is closer to $30. Mm -hmm. Do you cook with the blue bottle? Yes. And I yeah. should mention that's meant to be for cooking and baking. I and mean, it stands up really well to heat. You can cook yeah. up to 450. Wow. And then I see all the bottles behind you. I'm actually looking at all of them. So what's next to the white bottles? What are those? So those are our flavored olive oils. So I, that's what I should have mentioned. So we made three flavored olive oils. One is a Greek herb and lemon. And the lemons are actually crushed in the malaxer at the same time as the olives. And so that's wow. flavor infused. And then we add Greek herbs. So we add onion, oregano, black pepper. 
Amazing. And then we have a garlic flavor, which is very garlicky for people who love garlic. They're obsessed. Like when we sell out of this product, people get very, very angry. They're addicted to it. And then finally our spicy red pepper. And that's really good for like just adding a little bit of heat to whatever you're either cooking or, or eating as a finish, as a finishing oil. And then vinegar you mentioned, and I tried and I at fancy food and I was blown away. I was so pleasantly surprised. Um, awesome. Talk a little bit about that because that's what I think that's a real differentiator, like incredible vinegars. Yeah, I love to hear it. And so, yes, our vinegars are all from the Mediterranean. They're sourced from recent Italy. And of course, they pair very well with all our olive oils. And we think of them as the perfect complement to whatever you're putting your olive oil on, either while you're cooking or finishing a salad or, you know, a protein dish. So we have three balsamics. Our balsamics are authentic balsamics from Modena, Italy. Um, we have an original a fig flavored figure figs are very native to Southern Greece, where I'm from and where the olive oil comes from. We actually have fig trees on our property. And then finally, we have a really unique product in what we call the dark chocolate balsamic. Did you try that one? I did. It was amazing. Yeah. It's um, just this very sophisticated flavor. It's almost like chocolate syrup, but more complex. Mm-hmm. And um, we recommend it on things like Greek yogurt or vanilla ice cream. A lot of people also use it as a marinade. Yeah. Wow. And then I would say some of our more unique products are newer and they are called our crushed fruit vinegars. And so also as I've been working on Costarina, I've noticed that there are some people that are just really into vinegar. Like I call them the acid people yes. <laughs> and um, acid, as you probably know, will amplify the flavor of whatever you're putting it on or whatever you're cooking in it. And so these crushed fruit vinegars are white balsamic vinegar from Greece, white balsamic grape must from Italy, and just fresh fruit. There's no added sugar, but as you probably gathered when you tasted it, there's like this burst of sweetness, but it's met with the tanginess of the vinegar. And they're amazing salad dressings, but they're also great as cocktails or mocktails. So you can literally just pour it in some seltzer. And, you know, the crushed fruit vinegars really came about as I was watching the trend of people drinking apple cider vinegar to regulate their blood sugar. So again, coming back to health benefits, have you heard of people doing that? I mean, I've done it. Yes. And also, wait, you're saying put it in with seltzer? Yep. Wow. That's amazing. I would have never, ever thought of that ever. Yeah. And that's part of our challenge too, like trying to educate people on all the different use cases because it is so new, but it tastes amazing in seltzer. It's also a great cocktail mixer. So we have a tangerine flavored crushed fruit vinegar and my go-to is Casamigos, seltzer and the tangerine vinegar. And it's just perfection. It's like the perfect summer cocktail with a sprig of mint. And it's at any party that I bring it to, people are obsessed. That's incredible. Talk a little bit about, I mean, we talked briefly about this, but innovation, like you've done a lot of innovating in a, a relatively short period of time since you launched the brand. Talk about why, and there is a school of thought that says don't until you like do one thing and go really deep and then innovate, but you're innovating a lot. So talk about that a little bit. Yes. So we've definitely heard from countless experts that we should just have our olive oil skews and just grow olive oil and not worry about anything else. And that's really like the the best business path to growth. And I hear that and I agree with it in some ways, but the honest truth is just, that's not the brand that I wanted to build. And I never wanted to just be an olive oil brand. I truly wanted to be a lifestyle brand centered around the Mediterranean lifestyle. And so just to back up for a second, the place I, I came to this place for Costa Rica 
from observing my friends and family back in Greece who are, you know, staying out late, eating good food, drinking wine every night, having cocktails and like dancing on the table. And then cut to family and friends here in the US who are constantly dieting, working out at CrossFit. Oh, I'm on keto, I'm intermittent fasting. And yet everyone in the Mediterranean, you know, ends up healthier and happier than we are. And so yes. what can we learn from that lifestyle? Yeah. You know, I didn't think we could be that with ju as with just the olive oil, and felt that I really wanted to build a well-rounded line. I think it's much harder to be a lifestyle brand later if you just start with olive oil, because then they're like, "Wait, that's an olive oil brand." But if we were a lifestyle brand from the start, yeah, yep. wanted to be—that's the goal and the intent for the brand. And how do you feel like that's gone for you? Like, has it been a diversion? Have you had gotten good traction? I know you're getting good feedback. I mean, your products are incredible. So that part, but there are a lot of brands that could launch good products and it's still really challenging. So have you, how has it been for you to do that kind of innovation? Yeah, I think there's tons of operational complexity. And I was, as I was sharing with you before the call, I always say to my team, if we succeed, it will be because of operational excellence. And we have to be, you know, on top of everything that we're doing from an operational perspective. I think the response from both the consumer and the retailers have been very, very positive to us as a lifestyle brand and really bringing everything together under this Mediterranean umbrella. And you know, I think that there's opportunities. Each category brings the opportunity to introduce a customer or a buyer or retailer to the other categories. But we really do think of it as a hub and spokes with olive oil at the center and all the other categories get introduced after people have come in through our olive oil. If they happen to find us through another category, we always bring them back to our olive oil. That's so interesting. And I know that you're just about to, or you just have launched something that I think is really, really cool and innovative and fascinating. And can you, so can you talk about the skincare? Yes. So Costa Rica skincare exists because olive oil has been used on skin and hair in the Mediterranean for thousands of years. I always say we actually baptize our babies in olive oil in Greek culture. It was used in the Olympic Games. As a Greek kid, if something is wrong with your skin, your mom tells you to go put olive oil on it. I've <laughs> been there many times. And it really does heal. It's It has been used in for medicinal purposes for thousands of years by doctors in ancient Greece. And so um, we launched our skincare line as really an anti-skincare skincare line is the best way for me to put it. And, you know, um, coming from the beauty industry, I spent many years in the beauty industry before launching Costarina. I've tried every fancy cream. And did I ever see a difference in my skin? The honest answer is no. My belief is we just need clean ingredients that are not going to be detrimental to our health and beauty. And that we just need to keep our skin hydrated and protect it from, you know, outside stressors. And so extra virgin olive oil is truly the best ingredient for that. It's deeply hydrating and it also uh, protects your skin because of the antioxidants from you know, radical damage. And so, yeah, we have a hydrating face oil. We have a balm, which is an oil balm for lips and face. We have a face cream that's all been formulated emulsifier free. In addition to being, you know, ultra clean, we use the credo definition of clean in formulating. And then as you noticed from our most recent launch, we just launched a body oil all made with extra virgin olive oil for the hydration and antioxidant benefits. I think that's so cool. And I think, you know, when you think about wellness, which is a messy term right now, isn't it? Because so many people are talking about wellness and they have products that are clearly not that. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you have expanded beyond food wellness, which I think I love it because I mean, it's true. That's how olive oils been used, just not here. 
there is so much complexity and you could spend, I mean, I've done it and I agree with you. I don't, I cannot tell the difference between oil of Olay and something that I spent five times the amount of money on. And I don't know if any of it's doing anything except for that my skin isn't flaking off. So that's good. <laughs> but other than that, I don't think we know so much whether things really work or not. And so it's cool to think about how that has been used for so long in other places and, and try to get people here to understand that. Yeah. And I think the conscious consumer, as, as they're called, is realizing that health and beauty really does come from the inside and the outside. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it is a lot about what you eat, you know, what's you wear it on your face. And so in many cases, what people are putting on their skin with all these active ingredients or harsh chemicals, they're actually damaging their beauty and right. health. And right. so we want it to be all additive. And like my personal experience with this is throughout my 20s, I suffered with acne and I probably went to every dermatologist in New York City. I was on steroids, you know, topical steroids. I was on antibiotic for literally five years, which now I'm like, oh my God, why did I do that? And the answer for me was dairy. I stopped having a latte every day and my skin was magically clear. Wow. And I was just like, wow, it's so much more about what we're putting in our body than on, on our skin. Yeah. So how's the skincare line doing? And is that also leading people back to the olive oil, like the, the main brand? Yeah. So our skincare line is about 10% of our sale. Yeah. That's like, impressive. Yeah. It's been yeah. with just a few SKUs, it's actually become a sizable part of the business. And the, the really exciting metric is that about 20 to 25%, depending on the time of year, 20 to 25% of our orders include at least one skincare product. Wow. And so we were always wondering, like, will people buy their skincare from the people who make their food? And, you know, we're pleased to see that people who already are our customers trust us so much with what we've created to date that they are willing to purchase in that category. That's so incredible. I'm, I'm also a little surprised at that. That's awesome. You have a lot of products, though, and a lot of educating to do in a way, right? Because you have to educate people on why this olive oil is so much different and better. Then you have the vinegars and they're fascinating and they're clean and they are not like what we get here. Like you mentioned all the ingredients and the great must and all those things. And I don't think that I went on a tour in Italy to some balsamic vinegar places. And I learned, I mean, I was shocked at what we're having here versus what I was having there. And then you've got the skincare. So how do you do all of that educating? Are you it's doing definitely that a great challenge? It's definitely yeah. a great challenge. So I think it's easy for us to do that education and the content online. And that's why our D2C store, you know, our e-commerce platform, Costarina.com will always be our biggest door, our most important door and where we do all our community building. But it's very hard to tell the story at shelf. Yeah. As you, you know, as you see, we've been speaking for about half an hour and, you know, I've been educating you on some of the products and what makes them so special. And that's when people get like really intrigued and really excited about it, but it does take that explanation. So you know, that's what we're constantly working on. And if people have answers out there, I'm all ears, but we've been just focused on a lot of content, a lot of wellness content, a lot of product knowledge through emails, texts, social media, uh, press, and, and it's just harder at shelf. And so that's, I think going to be our greatest challenge as we try to grow. Yeah, it is. It is definitely challenging. There are obviously lots of ways people do it. Is, and you said that's your biggest challenge. Does that come, does that affect how you market? Does that affect how you go to dis to get distribution, how you go to retail? Yeah. I mean, I think it's at once our biggest challenge and opportunity. And, you know, we also have this minimalist aesthetic 
which means you can't fill up that bottle. Um, I know. I was thinking that you have that real estate on your package, but it would really change the way the brand feels if you were to try to tell your whole story there. Exactly. So yeah, so I think we're really just relying on the digital channels to do that storytelling. We do sell on HSN, the Home Shopping Network, which we love because it's a 10-minute opportunity to share the brand story and what makes the product so special. So that's one thing that we do. But I think, you know, we're still continuing to figure out what's going to work at places like Whole Foods and other natural grocers out there and even mass mass grocery. And so we've been doing a lot with shelf talkers or hang tags on the bottles you know, and demos where, you know, someone's standing in the store to sample. Yep. The- Do you feel like the DTC landscape has changed? Because I know a lot of brands I've talked to during COVID, obviously that was the only way for people to get things. And so a lot of brands exploded on DTC then, and then fell off really dramatically post COVID. Has that happened with you guys or not no, so much? No, it hasn't. Our D2C business has continued to grow, thankfully. One nuance for us is that we have a really big holiday gifting season. Mm-hmm. Our product is just inherently very giftable. Yeah. And I think, you know, the look and feel of it is what helps. And, and we love that because it's, you know, essentially a sam- a paid sampling opportunity for us. Because mm-hmm. if you're gifting it to five or 10 of your friends, yeah. you're getting a sample at home that was paid for. And so, um, you know, I think the big thing that I've learned about D2C over the past, you know, five to 10 years, as I've been in this space for a while, is just that D2C is no longer a business model. It's just one other channel. The channel, exactly. If you want to be successful, you really have to be good at all of it. You got to be good at D2C. You have to be good at wholesale and retail and, you know, all the new channels that are popping up, like selling in the TikTok shop or the Facebook shop, or, you know, some of the the selling platforms originating in Asia where people are doing video content to drive sales in app or, you know, digitally on, on mobile. So, and there's going to be more new things that we're going to have to consider as time goes on. So it's interesting. I was um, meeting with the founder yesterday and she was telling me like, I literally, where do I start? Like there are 7 million channels, everyone in with a local magazines coming to me and offering me things. They're talking about, SEO and SEM and things. I don't even know what the terms are. And they're so impressive. I feel like I should say yes to all of it. But I was with her listening to someone try to sell her something and they weren't even making sense. And she didn't know that they weren't making sense because she didn't know what she didn't know. Mm -hmm. So how do you figure out what platforms make sense? What channels make sense when you have so many options? Yes, it's very hard. So definitely talking to other founders helps. And I think trying to maintain focus. So because we do sit across so many different categories, I think we inherently need to be focused in our channels. And so for example, we don't have a YouTube channel, really. I think there's a few videos up there, but we don't do YouTube advertising. I think that's a huge miss and probably a big opportunity for us. The honest truth is we just don't have the bandwidth or capacity or resources today. So I put that in the category of opportunities. Yeah. Uh, going forward, you know, how to know what to do. I think honestly, talking to people who have done it before and what they're spending their time and money on is probably the best first step. And so just becoming friendly with other founders in your space or adjacent spaces has been the greatest resource. Have you found the community to be helpful and warm and welcoming? Like I've found this community, especially the health and wellness brands to just be so supportive of each other, which I think is awesome. And surprising sometimes. 
Yeah, I really have. I think that this community, I love the food space. Everyone's just genuinely pretty happy. (laughs) They're, you know, us foodies kind of stick together. And I have found everyone to be incredibly helpful. I look to Allison Kane from Haven's Kitchen. She has an amazing podcast as well. I've also listened to a number of founders and functional experts on her podcast to really help grow the brand. I do feel like podcasts are an amazing resource for new founders as well. And so I would definitely recommend that to people just starting out. Yeah. Interesting. And I want to talk about capital. Have you raised capital? Are you about to do it anytime soon? Yes, we have. We've raised a seed and a series A. Uh, We've raised about $10 million to date. And we have some amazing investors behind us that have been supportive all along the way, even when the market got really, really tough. Uh, So really grateful for that. And one of our investors in particular has deep expertise in food and food service. So a lot of great connections have come out of that. Yeah. And that's an interesting topic right now too, for people, because it was I'm not going to say easy, but easier two years ago or pre-COVID to raise money than it is. And even during COVID, I feel like there were were ups and downs, but now it's tough. Mm -hmm. Now it's tight. Do you have, have you experienced that? Have you had to change your business model at all to make sure you had a very clear path to profitability or... Is it? Yeah, absolutely. It's been very difficult. I mean, I would say this is because I had fundraisers for a previous startup and this is definitely the hardest market that I've ever faced. And a a lot of it has to do with your company and its stage and how fast you're growing. And so we have pivoted quite a bit to shift to a focus on profitability and reducing our cash burn as much as possible to have our capital take us through a longer period of time. And so we have accepted slower growth, particularly this year in exchange for minimizing cash burn and trying to get the profitability sooner. Yeah, that seems like it's a big thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you've slowed down your growth on purpose. Yes, we have. I mean, we've cut our marketing spend on you know channels like Meta by almost half this year. Oh, yeah, that's ch- and that's challenging too because they're everything's changed on those platforms. Harder to target, harder to understand. So it's been really tricky. I think it's been a hard year. Like I feel like the shakeout after this year and next year is going to be real. Like people Mm -hmm. who have done a great job and been smart are going to hang in there. And then some others may sadly not because the market's tough. It is. I'm hoping things turn around in 2024. Me too. (laughs) I'm really (laughs) hoping for that. So, you know, that we can accelerate growth. Like I, what I keep telling my team is profitability equals freedom, because if we can get to profitability or just really get to like as close to break even as possible, you know, we just have so much more freedom. And even though it might mean slower growth, we can continue to pursue on and to, you know, our true mission is to help people live longer, happier, more delicious lives. And so if we can continue doing that for as long as possible and reaching as many people as possible, that's, that's really the ultimate goal. That's awesome. I don't want to use up too much of your time, but I'm wondering if you have any advice you'd like to share things that you've bumped into along the way that you feel like, other people would benefit from knowing or avoiding, or I don't know. I'm sure there have been days where you've been like, I don't know if I'm doing this. Am I doing this? Am I going to keep doing this? Like, how do you get through those moments where it's just hard? Yeah, I guess a few things I would say there is at least from my experience, I think passion is really the most important factor. You know, you're, if you start a startup, you're probably going to be doing this for five, 10 
maybe 15 years. So make sure what you're doing, you're super excited about. And that's, I will, will say, honestly, that's how I feel about Costa Arena right now. It's like the culmination of everything I love from a career perspective and everything I love from a personal perspective, food, beauty, Greece. And so I think that helps drive a lot and really like helps you get up in the morning. I feel very proud of our products. I love to gift them to people and hear them say like, I love it so much. Thank you. Yes. So, you know, that makes all the world a difference. I would also say, I always tell people don't leave your day job. Like you can get a lot done in getting a startup off the ground while you're still in a full-time job. Like product development, especially in CPG, takes a long time to get right. And, you know, you might go through two or three different co-packers before you get to that product. So you don't want to put the pressure on yourself to like perform financially and raise money right away. Give yourself time to get, you know, that product up and running. And then I guess the other, the last thing I would say is like the rapid prototyping model is something I subscribe to as well. Just like, even if it's not perfect, get something out in the market, get your feedback, change it and continue to iterate till you get to that perfect place. And you're getting that amazing customer feedback. Do you ever get down and have to find ways to get back up? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Like every day is a roller coaster. So like, you'll be on a high, like, oh, we just got into this national retailer. So exciting. And then like, you'll get a no from an investor that you thought was close to getting there. And then you're like, oh, maybe like what I'm building is not exactly what they're looking for, or I need to change something major, or like, maybe this was a stupid idea to begin with. And so (laughs) you definitely can have all of those feelings, even in the same day. Yes. I think it's just a matter of surrounding yourself with people who believe in you, you know, doing your best to keep balance as well. I, you know, this is my second startup. My first startup I was before I had children. My kids definitely give me forced balance. Yes. And, you know, like even when I'm having a bad day, I'm like, okay, my kids are happy and healthy. And that's really like all that matters. Like what's the worst that could happen? Okay. This might not, if this doesn't work out, it'll be okay. And so even just having that mindset of like, what's the worst case scenario helps me to get past those tough moments. That's incredible. Where do you want to be in five years? And, and how will you like, is there a benchmark for you? Like I made it because this happened or did that already happen? Or has it happened along the way? Like, what is it, what does success look like? I think success for us looks like, you know, being in all natural and conventional grocery stores and like having Costa Rica be a household name where, you know, I'm going to buy the good olive oil all the time. And Costa Rica is the good olive oil. Like we are the brand that stands for good olive oil in the US, but even more so like I'd love for our skincare to be widely available. I'd love to be in places like Sephora or Target or CVS. I don't know exactly what that distribution channel will look like because, you know, those are very different price points and opportunities. And so that's something we still have to figure out, but being somewhere where we can be, you know, easily accessible at the right price point for people so that they can trade into, you know, a category that's ultra clean, safe and beneficial for their health. Awesome. Well, I hope that's what happens for you too. I'm really a huge fan and rooting for you guys. Absolutely. Love to hear it. Thank you so much. That's so kind. And if people want to check out Costa Rica or try any of our products, they can use code IRRESISTIBLEFACTOR for 15% off. And we'll put that in the show notes. Amazing. And I'll put that in my blog post as well. So people will have access to it. That's fantastic. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.